time we'll go ahead and dismiss our kids to kids church this morning. As they are heading to kids church, please remember Kimberly and Mario in prayer. Uh, they've got sick ones at home. This is the second week that they've been out with little ones sick. So just pray for them. For all of those moms and dads, you know how stressful it is whenever you have little ones sick and how uh, difficult it can be. So just pray for them. Uh, pray that they get back uh, healthy and are able to uh, come back and worship with us soon. So pray for them. If you have your Bibles, flip over to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, if you notice, uh, you probably only have one page left in the book of 2 Samuel. Uh, next Sunday, hopefully, will be our last Sunday in the book of 2 Samuel. And all God's people said, Amen. Uh, thank God, right? Uh, it's about time we're done with 2 Samuel. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 23, uh, verses 8 uh, through the end of the chapter. I'm not going to read uh, the second half of the passage, just because it's a list of a bunch of names uh, that I will struggle to pronounce and butcher. Uh, so, but but we're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about uh, the nature of this text. And and by nature, this is a very disjointed text. It, it is it is a list of these these men, thirty six of them in all. Uh, that that were men of great valor, men of uh, warriors. Uh, they they did great and mighty things for the kingdom of God. Uh, they were, you know, this is this is where uh, you would expect Hollywood to get its next feature film from. Uh, I mean, this is something you know where uh, uh, Jean Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal would play the leading role. Well, that was uh, that was my generation. Uh, the Rock or uh, you know one one of these. Uh, one of these newer, uh, uh, newer actors uh, would would play the lead, or Jim Caviezel, and and they would uh, they would be these great warriors. Uh, and so this is, but it's by nature, it's a very disjointed text. It's it's a bunch of small stories that are put together at the end of the book of Second Samuel as a tribute. Uh, we've all been in. We've all been in uh, colleges or hospitals and, or, or state capitals, and we've seen the portraits of, of the, the past presidents or the past leaders or the past professors, and, and you look up, and you don't know any of them, uh, you know, but they've got their name written down there and maybe their time where they served or they led. Uh, this is what this is. It, it's a hall of fame of those faithful servants of God and those faithful servants of Israel. So let's read 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 8 through 17. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb Bashibeth, a Tachamanite, chief of the captains. He was called Adino the Isnite because of 800 slain by him at one time. After him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, one of three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle. And the men of Israel had withdrawn. And he arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and clung to the sword. 
And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him, only to strip the slain. Now after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered into a troop, and where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot, and defended it, and struck the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Then three of the thirty chief men went down to David in the harvest time in the cave of Adullam while the troops of the Philistines were camping in the valley of Rephraim. And David was then in the stronghold while the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem. David had a craving and said, Oh, that some woman give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is at the gate. And the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I shall drink the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Let's pray. God, as we see this passage, Lord, may we see your testimony of faithfulness through these faithful servants. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts through your word, that we would not hear the words of a preacher, that we would not hear the words of mere mortal men, Lord, but we would hear the word of your eternal Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning. May you touch us, may you convict us, may you bring us into obedience. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that whenever you leave, that you will see the faithfulness of God through his faithful servants. I want to look, there's there's three very distinct passages, and and, and we're going to take them in in bite-sized chunks. We're going to look at uh, verses 8 through 12. And then we're going to look at verses 13 uh, through 17. And then we're going to look at verses 18 through 39 in, in three bite-sized chunks. So, so what we have is we have uh, the first passage, verses 8 through 12, is a story of three men. Three warriors that, that stood out, that were, that were valiant warriors, that did something and were commended for, for their service to God, were commended to their service for the king. And so let's, let's look at these three, that at this first passage, these three men uh, separately. The first passage, 8 through 12, is a story of three men. The first uh, is Bear, uh, let me look at it so I don't mispronounce it, uh, Josheb Beshebeth, the Tachamanite, and he kills 800 Philistines in one battle. The second that we're going to look at is Eleazar, and he is battling the Philistines, and he is battling the Philistines, and he battles them so long and for and, and with such veracity and with such tenacity that his hand becomes frozen to his sword. The, the word there in the Hebrew literally means that it's, uh, it's translated his hand clung to his sword. The word in the Hebrew literally means that his hand became frozen to his sword. We, we, we've all been in those moments where, you know, where we're riding or we're doing something and our hand would cramp up and, and, and you've got this misshapen claw 
Well, that, that's what had taken place. His, his hand, he was battling for so long that the muscles had tensed up so much that he couldn't let go of the sword. And then we see this last, this last warrior here in verse 11, Shema. He took his stand on a crop field after all of the Israelites had fled. And the Philistines were pursuing and they were going to overtake the nation of Israel. They were going to overtake this lentil field, which was probably the only means of sustenance for the farmer, his only means of livelihood. And he said, no, we're not retreating. We're not going any further. We're going to stand our ground right here. And Shema stood and battled for a bean field. And he battled for so long... All of Israel had left, and when they came back, Shema was standing, and not a Philistine was standing there amongst them, and all that they had to do was go and strip the slain, take all of their weapons and their jewelry and the booty from war. This first passage highlights three warriors. But I want to point out to you that these warriors while yes, they were, they were fighting for David, and while yes, they were fighting for Israel, David was the covenant king of Israel. And so these men were fighting for the covenant king. They were not fighting simply for Israel. They were not fighting for David. They were fighting for the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom. And so as David stands as a symbol of God's earthly king of a eternal kingdom these men were fighting for the kingdom of god and so as they are fighting as they are battling valiantly as they are slaying 800 men and as they are fighting until their hand clings to the sword becomes frozen to the sword and as they are standing in a bean field and saying we are not going to relinquish this crop to the enemy as they are fighting valiantly they're fighting on behalf of the lord these faithful men who are fighting on behalf of the Lord. Let us never forget what the passage says here, though. It's so easy to look at, at, at these warriors and say, man, what a, what a warrior Eleazar is. What a warrior Shammai is that he says, we are not going to back down. I want to be like that. But let us look at what the passage reminds us. Look at verse 10. And then the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Verse 12. He took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. God uses valiant men. God uses these men like Shema and these men like Eleazar. He uses them... But don't ever let us forget that the battle belongs to the Lord. Don't ever let us forget that it's God who brings about victory. Joshua may be the one who is marching around Jericho, but it is the Lord who causes the walls to crumble. David may be the one who is hurling a stone, but it is the Lord who slays Goliath. Don't ever let us think That because of our abilities and our greatness, that we have done something. After all, who is it that blessed these mighty warriors with their grit? 
Who is it that bestowed upon them their ability? Who is it that bestowed upon them their tenacity? Was it not a gift of the Lord himself? It's easy for us to look at this and to elevate the man. Let us not forget victory belongs to the Lord. David understood this. Turn to the book of Psalm chapter 3. A short psalm that David writes. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for God, for him and God. But thou, O Lord, you, O Lord, are my shield about me. My glory is the one who lifts my head. Verse 4, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Verse 5, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who have set up against me. Verse 7, Arise, O Lord, and save me, for thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheek, and thou hast scattered and shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Blessings be upon thy people. As we look at verses 10 and verses 12 of chapter 23, it's easy for us to read this in the English and miss what the Lord says. It says, the Lord has brought about victory. The Lord has brought about victory. That's what the English says. The Hebrew word for victory is Yeshua. The Lord has brought about salvation. Through his mighty men, God has brought about salvation. Let's look at the second passage. We see verse 13 through 17. Verse 13 through 17, David is hiding in the the cave of Adullam. This is probably during the time whenever Saul was pursuing him, trying to kill him. He's in the cave hiding for his life. And David gets homesick. And, and, And he mentions in passing, he says, man, sure would be nice to have cool glass of water from the well of Bethlehem. I, I, I know we got you know, water from you know, these pools out here in the cave, but it's, 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 not, like, it's not like water from home. I, I sure would like a cool glass of water from Bethlehem. And we've all been there. We've been on a long vacation, and you know, you're taking a shower, or you're brushing your teeth, and it's the water's just not the same. Am I right? You know, you, you, after, after spending a week at, at the beach and, you know, you're, you're, you're taking a shower and you're sandy and you're wet and, or you're, you're hot and you're sweaty and, and you just want a cold glass of water and you go get a cold glass of water and it just doesn't taste good. And, or, or, or you take a shower and it, it's just, it's not, it's not refreshing. The first thing you want to do when you get home is, I want to go take a shower. I want to go sit in a hot bath. I want, a, I want a nice, cool glass of water from the tap. We've all been there, right? That's where David was. He was homesick. And he mentions it in passing. He says, I sure would like a cool glass of water from the well of Bethlehem. But, hey, the Philistines. The Philistines have encamped in Bethlehem, and yeah, we're not going to be able to do it. These three men say, my king wants a glass of water. We're going to get a glass of water. And they mount up and they, 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 they put on their armor and they go out. And, and it's interesting, they don't sneak through in the middle of the night. They don't try and sneak in, grab a pitcher of water and head out so that they won't get caught. They march through the Philistine camp in the middle of the day, kicking butt and taking names. And they say, you know what? 
My king wants a glass of water from the, bell of, uh, from the well of Bethlehem. We're going to get him a glass of water from the well of Bethlehem. And they march right through the Philistine camp. And they walk right up to that, that, that well. And they draw water. And they bring it back to David. Slaughtering Philistines on the way. Coming and going. And they get back. And David is blown away. He is struck with awe. That men under his, under his rule, under his reign, care about him and honor him in such that they would risk their lives to get him a glass of water. This is not about the water. This has nothing to do with the well at Bethlehem and everything to do with how much David's men loved and honored, respected, and cherished him. And I believe they did so because they saw the love of God in David. They saw his faithfulness. They saw his, his compassion. They saw his love, the love that he had for the Lord. And they said, this is a man who loves the Lord. This is a man who honors the Lord. This is a man who, who demonstrates the love of God to us. And we love him because he loves the Lord. And these men risked their lives and shed blood because of their love and honor and respect for David. And David was, was awestruck. And when he got the water, the, as he poured the water out, it was not a, a disrespect to what they had done, but it was an act of worship of what they had done. That he poured, he gave that water to the Lord and saying that, that I am in awe that God would do this, that God would demonstrate His love and care for me through the men that He has put under my rule and under my reign. In 2016, I experienced a something similar to this. Uh, I was out on my boat trying to uh, do my best impression of the Cajun Navy, uh, and and when I got, whenever we we launched the boat, me and a couple of other church members, uh, this campus was dry, and so we launched the boat to see what what help we could be to others. By the time we picked the boat up, this campus was not dry. There was about six inches of water in this entire facility. And I began walking through the building and I noticed that somebody had been in this building and had gone through every room and picked everything up off the floor and put it up on desks and tables. And I went to my office and I noticed that all the books on my bottom bookshelf had been moved so that they wouldn't get destroyed. One of those books was a Bible that was my dad's. And it's, there's nothing special about this Bible. It's a New King James translation. It's not 400 years old or anything like that. But it's got notes and highlights and underline. And, and there, there are notes in here. I was just looking through it this morning when I preached through the book of Hebrews. I see, I see some of the notes that my dad wrote 
from sermons that I preached. I see sermons, I see notes that my dad took from sermons that our pastor growing up preached. Passages that are underlined that meant something to him. Passages that are highlighted. And this is, this is a greater treasure to me than any other book in my library. Not because of anything other than it was, it's a chronicle of my dad's relationship with Jesus. And on that morning at 9 o'clock in the morning, our principal at the school came by and he saw that the water was going to come into the building. And he cared not only for the classrooms where his teachers were and the curriculum that pertained to him, but he loved me and honored me and took time to go into my office and make sure that my stuff, he had no He had no obligation in any way, shape, or form to the church, to me as a pastor. But he loved me, and he went and picked up all my books off the bottom shelf. I I lost nothing but a, a couple of cheap bookshelves. And I was touched because God cared for me through this man. That's what we see in 2 Samuel chapter 23. David is awestruck that God cared about him enough and and the the depth of God's compassion and love for him that, that when David said, I want to drink a water, that God gave it to him. How much does our God love us? I don't think that we can even possibly wrap our brains around the the depth of the love that God has for us. We get glimpses every now and again that God will will show us these, these small glimpses of how He cares for us. And that's what we see here in 2 Samuel chapter 23. That God gives him just a small glimpse of how much He cares for him. And David has no other response but to worship. And then I want us to see this last passage. And we didn't read any of this, and you're welcome for that. Uh, Chapters uh, 23, verses 18 through 39, is a long list of 30 men whom the vast majority of them we can't pronounce. But what it is, is it's a list of the faithful men And we get one man after another, after another, after another who were faithful to God, who were faithful to David, who served David faithfully, who did mighty, valiant things. And what this passage tells us, what this passage tells us is we should be encouraged by all of those who have gone before us. We should be encouraged by those faithful men who have served, those faithful women who have served, those missionaries who have gone before us the Adoniram Judsons, the William Careys, the William Tyndalls, 
the George Whitfields, the Charles Spurgeons, the John Wesleys, that we should be encouraged by those faithful men who thundered away at the gospel, by those faithful men, the men who who have given their life for the gospel, the, the martyrs of the church who became whose blood became the seed of the church, men like Polycarp who who hung on a on a stake and was being burnt alive, and as the, the wind and the rain put out the flame, Polycarp yelled, Your fire cannot quench me. These, these faithful men who have gone before us, we ought to be encouraged by their example. Look at what Paul says. I'm sorry, not Paul. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. <clears throat> He's encouraging the church. And he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Do not forsake our assembling of ourselves together, as some is the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our responsibility as the church, as we gather together, is to encourage one another. To encourage one another... How? By living our lives amongst each other, by encouraging, spurring one another on to godliness. That's what this list in 2 Samuel chapter 23 is. It's a list of faithful men who've come beside David and who have given their life for David, who have served and been faithful, who who have done what God has called them to do. It's men like Bill Clemens and Richard Hayden and Ed Caston and Eliphas. James, it's men who may not become remembered in the annals of redemptive history, but they've encouraged me by their faithfulness, by their faithful service to the King. You know, it's interesting, the Bible, the Bible likes lists. How many times have you been reading the Old Testament and you come to a list? You come to a census. You come to a a, a list of people and and, and you begin reading and you don't know if these are people's names or if this is a a, a country or a region or a city and you just just read and you struggle through it and you're like, okay, I, I guess that means something to somebody. The Bible likes lists. Well, I want to know, I want to remind you that it's not just the Old Testament that likes lists, it's the New Testament that likes lists. And they do so because they want to remind us of God's faithfulness. They want to remind, they want us to be encouraged, to be spurred on to godliness. So let's look at a couple lists in the New Testament. Go to Philemon chapter 23, or Philemon, depending upon your persuasion. Chapter, uh, verse, there's only one chapter, verse 23 through 25. I want us to see Paul writes to the slave who has run away. And as he closes, he gives him a list. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you, as does Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. As Paul is encouraging Philemon, he says, there's another group of fellow believers who are praying for you, who are encouraging you, who greet you in the name of the Lord. Just about every one of Paul's letters conclude this way. 
Paul gives us a list of brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying for you, the church, praying for the body of Christ, praying for Timothy or praying for Titus, encouraging you in the gospel. These may not be men who took up the sword against the Philistines. They may not be men who took up the sword or women who took up the sword against the Romans, but they are absolutely men and women who fought the good fight of faith. Look at what he says to Titus in his farewell address to to Titus, the pastor on Crete. We hear a lot about Timothy. We hear very little about Titus. Timothy was a young man who got sick a lot. Timothy was a young man who Paul took under his wing, who pastored at Ephesus along great pastors like John the Apostle and Apollos and Paul. Paul wrote to Timothy twice, encouraged him, strengthened him, took him under his wing, took him with him on his missionary journey. journey. Titus, Paul just sent to an island full of barbarians. It was an island off the coast of Greece called Crete. And Paul said, Titus, good luck. Let me know how things turn out. He sent him off to pastor, to testify earnestly, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And he wrote him this letter. And he encouraged him. And when he concludes, this is how he concludes it. The book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, Make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there, diligently helping Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking in them. And let our people also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet the pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. And all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Paul gives Titus a list of faithful men, faithful women. Why? To encourage him. What's Titus doing? He is suffering. He is serving. He is faithfully teaching the men and women in Crete. And he's there alone. So Paul sends him a letter to encourage him. And then gives him a list of people who are praying for him, who are encouraging him. That's what this is for us, church. 2 Samuel chapter 23 is a list of faithful men who have given their life to serve a faithful God. And so here's a question I want to ask you. Who are those heroes of the faith that have gone before you, that encourage you? Maybe it's grandma, grandpa. Maybe it's mom or dad. Maybe it's an elder in the church. Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a a hero of the faith like Amy Carmichael or William Tyndall. Or maybe it's a fellow laborer, someone who's served alongside you. But I want us to finish with verse 39. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 39. And I believe that there's no coincidence that this chapter ends with this verse. At the very end of the list of chapter 23, in this this hall of fame, if you will, of faithful men who have served and given their life for the cause of 
the kingdom of God. The author concludes David's list of mighty men with, the, with Uriah the Hittite. Interestingly enough, every one of us remembers Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite is listed amongst David's mighty men, telling us that Uriah the Hittite was a faithful servant of God, was a faithful servant of the king, was a faithful warrior subordinate to the covenant king. And we all know Uriah's fate in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12. David calls Uriah back from the front lines because David had committed adultery with Uriah's wife. Then when Uriah refused to be with his wife because of his homage and his loyalty and his faithfulness to King David, David sends him back with instructions to have him killed. For the reader, this would have brought back haunting memories. For David, I believe his failure here in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 haunted him till the day that he died. Many of us have memories just like 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Those moments in our lives that haunt us. Maybe something whenever we were very young. I heard an old man say, in order to be old and wise, you first have to be young and stupid. And there are many of us who are old and wise because we were young and stupid. But maybe those, those moments of, of immaturity, those moments of, that we lack discernment, haunt us. I believe they haunted David. The author finishes with Uriah the Hittite. And this memory could cause great shame to David. It could cause great shame to the kingdom of God. It could cause great shame to David's legacy. But I believe that 2 Samuel chapter 23 finishes with Uriah the Hittite not to cause great shame to David in the kingdom of God, but to bring us to an immersion of divine grace. Our most appalling memories should cause a great humility within us. Because God takes us and through His tenacious love and grace and mercy says, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates His great love towards us in that while we were haters of God, while we were sinners, while we opposed Him at every way, God pursued us. And as the Christ was hanging upon the cross, The thieves hanging on either side were hurling insults at him. And then one of them looked at the other and said, Why? For he is suffering as an innocent man, but we are suffering justly, for we deserve what we get. 
And he looks at Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he didn't deserve anything. He admitted that he was a wretch, that he was a a, a murderer, that he deserved the capital crime, that he deserved the capital punishment that he was receiving because he was guilty of a capital crime. But he cried out for mercy. And the King of glory, the God of grace, looked over at him and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Not because you deserve it. Not because there is anything good in you. Not because there's any merit. But because I am gracious and kind and loving and benevolent. And so church, this morning, as you are reminded of your most haunting memory, that memory whenever you want to, if if, if it was possible, you want to go into your brain and erase it from your mind because you can't believe how depraved and how how horrible that, that, that moment was, that act of indiscretion or that act of rebellion or whatever it may be may that haunting memory church not be something that brings about shame but brings about humility that god saw me in the depth of my depravity and said i love you so much so that i'm going to shed my red rich royal blood that you might call me Father. David's mighty men not only give a testimony of God's faithfulness, but bring us into a collision course with His grace. This morning, church, may you be brought to a place of humility. Because God has taken that haunting memory and baptized it in His mercy. Will you pray with us? As we look at this list, as we look at these mighty men, may we be encouraged by your faithfulness. May we be encouraged that you are faithful to a fault. Timothy says that even whenever we are faithful, even whenever we are faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. And there are so many times in our lives whenever we are faithless. And God, I thank you that you are faithful. As we are reminded of our Uriah moment, of our moment in our lives whenever we were rebellious, Whenever we were haters of God, whenever we were running from you, and you tenaciously pursued us, pouring out your grace and your mercy and your love, and we know we don't deserve it. May this morning, that memory bring you to a place of humility, a place where you're struck with awe. God, how can you love me so much? Maybe that moment is right now when you realize that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die the death that you deserve to die. 
God is speaking to your heart this morning, calling you to give your life to Christ, I want to invite you to come. Maybe he's simply reminding you this morning of his faithful service to you, of his faithful commitment to to you. And he's calling you to commit to faithfully serve him. Maybe he's calling you to be a part of Redeemer. Maybe he's calling you to, to be an example to someone else spur them on to righteousness. Whatever it is God is speaking to your heart today, may you be obedient. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts here today. In Jesus' name we pray.